done a few shows about all meat and all fat, now known as the carnivore diet for autoimmune cancer, unexplainable illnesses. All right, Dr. Sean Baker, world record holder, really unique guy, which you meet him. But, you know, I asked him the hard questions, right? What about antioxidants? What about vitamin C? What about fiber? I mean, aren't these things necessary for good health? All right, you're gonna have to stay tuned for the show. All those questions will be answered. Hey, I wanna tell you about one of our sponsors, Cytodetox. Look, podcasts cost money. There's a lot of production uh, going around this, but uh, we are grateful to have Cytodetox as one of the sponsors. It's so easy for me to talk about the product because myself and my family use it constantly as we practice what I preach for over 15 years. I've talked about and taught doctors and the public about cellular detox. And I'll tell you, Cyto was a breakthrough. Cyto was a breakthrough for us. Um, and it's changed so many lives. So we're grateful that they sponsor Cellular Healing TV. It makes sense, doesn't it? They should. If you're listening to this podcast and want to access the amazing Cyto Detox product Dr. Pompa just mentioned, please visit detoxoffer.com. Again, that's detoxoffer.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cellular Healing TV. I'm Ashley Smith, and today we welcome orthopedic surgeon, world record-holding athlete, and author of The Carnivore Diet, Dr. Sean Baker. Sean is here to talk about, share the benefits of, and dispel many myths about the carnivore diet and why it's quite possible this diet may be something to consider for autoimmune, weight loss, resistance, disease prevention, and gut healing. So let's get started and welcome Dr. Sean Baker and Dr. Pompa to the show. Welcome both of you. Thank right. you. Thanks for the warm welcome. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Well, I love this topic. Uh, we use carnivore diet for all of those things that uh, were mentioned there from Ashley autoimmune, gut issues, unexplainable conditions. Uh, hey, look, it works. But some people watching this and viewing this don't even know what we're talking about when we say carnivore diet. All right, just eating meat and fat, no vegetables. I mean, Sean, come on, don't we need fiber in our diet? What about vitamin C, right? I mean, what about all the nutrients, the antioxidants, the polyphenols? You guys must be insane and crazy because We've heard for how many years, you better eat more fruits and vegetables in your diet. And you're talking no fruits and vegetables. How do you survive? All right, we're gonna answer those questions uh, as we go through here, Sean. But I wanna, I, you know, tell me your story, world record holder. Tell my viewers who the heck you are. What do you hold a world record in? And um, how did you get into this diet? Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm a traditionally tra trained surgeon. I was an orthopedic surgeon, happily plugging away, doing my 500 orthopedic surgeries a year and, you know, doing knee scopes and shoulder, shoulder replacements, hip replacements, fixing broken bones and cruising along. And, you know, I, somewhere I think uh, about my early 40s, you know, like I said, I was an athlete my whole life. I competed in various sports. In fact, I've, I've got world records in three different sports and won world championships in different sports. Which sport? And, what are they? What, what are the world, world so records? I've got uh, powerlifting. So I was, I was, a, I was a, a world record and national record powerlifter in the deadlift specifically. I was a I, I have to ask this question. I, I have, I, I like to be conversational. Do you know Tom Eisman? He's one of my best friends. He, um, he has the world record. I don't know him personally, but the name sounds familiar, but I don't know. Yeah, he's I old now, man. He's in his sixties, but he still holds world records, you know? So anyway. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I haven't come across, but you know, I've, I've been around for a long time and, and, and been lifting now, I guess I'm 50, I'm about to turn 55. And so I've been lifting gosh for 40 some years, but I, you know, I got up to a 770 pound, 772 pound deadlift as a drug free athlete. I did that. Then I got into uh, something called the Highland games, which if you're familiar with it, it's, it's a Scottish games where you put a kilt on and you go and you throw tell you know, things that look like telephone poles, cables. I, I, I've shot. seen it in the strongest uh, man in the world, right? That, yeah, uh, they, 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 do, they do some similar events in there, but it's a whole Scottish thing. And so I ended up winning a world championship in that. And then I went on. Then, you know, when I got tired of being 300 plus pounds, I'm a pretty <laughs> big guy. I got into competitive rowing. And so I ended up breaking world records, you know, with this concept two rowing device. And uh, so I've, I've got, I've had those. And uh, so I've been doing all these sports, but when I was about 40, you know, 42, 43, I was in, you know, in my practice, I was busy. And I started noticing a decline in my health despite training. I mean, I was trained, I was still trained. I mean, I would get up in the morning, train early before I went into work to see patients. You know, sometimes I would be doing two a days plus, you know, taking care of the kids, busy practice as a surgeon. And um, I was, I mean, I was tired. I mean, you, you might say the surgery and the working out did that, but I mean, I mean, it was unusually tired because I'd, I'd had that schedule yeah. for decades. And I mean, I was, I was, I was clearly developing sleep apnea. I my blood pressure was going up. I probably had metabolic syndrome. I didn't formally test it, but I'm, you know, in retrospect, I clearly did. And so I, you know, was like, well, I'm going to lean out. I'm going to get down. I, you know, I was, I remember, I, was, I remember when I turned 40, I'm, like, I'm going to get some abs finally for the first time in my life. 40 came, went, I never got them. I was like, what the hell, you know? And I, and I honestly tried and I did, just didn't happen. So then I uh, started really focusing on diet. And I mean, I went on a, I was, you know, as a big guy, I was eating a lot. I was eating a lot of calories. I was probably eating six, seven, maybe 8,000 calories a day, as you might imagine to be a big athlete and put away a lot of calories. And so I go to the, the almost the exact opposite. I mean, I mean, I was, it was vegetables. It was lean meat. It was a lot of working out. It was, you know, three times, you know, in the morning, 3000 jump ropes. If I had a chance to work out over my lunch hour, I would. And then when I got home, another 3000 jump ropes, oh, I dropped 50 pounds. Yeah, I dropped 50 pounds in three months and I got lean and I was miserable. I was an un, unpleasant human to be around. I was grouchy. I was tired. I was hungry. The nurses said, man, we really, really, really like the fat Dr. Baker way better. You're just kind of a, you know, blank, blank. And, you know, I mean, I mean, and I realized that I, I mean, it wasn't a surprise to me. I could tell that I wasn't happy. So then I started playing with, you know, putting more fat in my diet. I started playing with paleo diets. I started playing with eventually over this five-year transition period into low carb and then ketogenic diets for a while. And then I, you know, about, uh, I guess it's been about five years ago now, I, I sort of stumbled across these crazy, wacko, nutty people doing this all meat diet. And I thought the same thing. You know, I was like, what the hell? But I mean, I had an open enough mind because I'd already kind of looked through some of this low carb literature. And I said, well, you know, I don't think nutrition science is really that subtle. I think we don't know as much as we think we do. So I was open minded enough to look at it, to watch these people. And then I think somewhere in 2016, I said, well, I'm just going to try it for a month. And I tried it. And I mean, I was like, you know, I've had tendonitis in my right quadricep for at least a decade. And, and as an orthopedic surgeon, you know how to treat tendonitis. I did everything I possibly could, the eccentric stretching, the drills, uh, all the different things you would do for tendonitis and nothing got it better. Within a month, I was like, my tendonitis is gone. This is very, very weird for me, uh, thinking that diet has that impact. So I remember I'd, I'd have patients coming into my office telling me when I eat this and that, my knees hurt. I never, I didn't really believe them. I was like, you know, ah, you're just kind of a crackpot just, you know, here, here's, here's some more Motrin, you know, the typical doctor thing. 
unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll admit I was one of those guys. But then, then, then as I sort of realized this, wait a minute, there's something really here. You know, what we eat really truly impacts our health and it impacts every aspect of it. I don't care if it's your mental health, your, your joints, your gut, your brain. It's all a problem. And so as I did this, I did it for 30 days with the full intention to stop and going back to a more standard omnivorous diet. And I did. And then literally within 24 hours, I was like, man, my legs started hurting again. I don't feel as good. My digestion's not as good. And I wasn't eating. I didn't just jump in and start eating chocolate cake and Doritos. I mean, it was like, you know, it was fruits and vegetables and a little bit of, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, cereals and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, this is, this is not good. So I went back to the meat only diet and I was on social media and I had enough people that were following me that they're kind of, we had a lot of discussion and I, I somehow convinced a hundred people to do it. I said, why don't you try it for, for 90 days? And we actually collected data on these people and we got, you know, it was all, it was an informal, it wasn't a real, you know, IRB approved study, but we just collected data and we said, Hey, measure how much weight you lose, your gut, gut circumference, how many bowel movements you had. There's cause people were asking about, you know, I'm here to the bathroom and we, we took all this data and we got it down and, uh, it was actually pretty, pretty remarkable. You know, everybody lost, I think on average in three months, people lost them like 13 kilos or your comp trunk by eight centimeters. Their sleep got better. Their every, every subjective marker got better. We, you know, we couldn't afford to take lab tests and do all that stuff, but we had some pretty good income, uh, uh, pretty good results. And then uh, at that point, I think Joe Rogan got wind of this somehow and he invited me on the show and I talked about it. And then of course, if you go on that podcast, a lot of people get exposed. And then all of a sudden I got, you know, then all of a sudden all the vegans from the world decided to, that I was the most evil person on the planet. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and so I've been doing this now for five years. And I mean, literally, as you know, I'm probably, I don't know, perhaps, you know, what you do is with someone in some part influenced by some of the stuff we've been doing, but I've seen literally tens of thousands of people that have positively dramatically improved their health for autoimmune diseases, for gut diseases yeah. like Crohn's disease and IBS and, you know, skin issues psoriasis, you know, uh, you know, eczema and mental health diseases, yeah. all kinds of neat things. And so I'm really, I am still, you know, like I said, I, I you know, we had this discussion off, off, off the record and I'm like you, I don't necessarily think that this is the only way this is, this is a, the ultimate thing, but I think it is a tool that we'd be foolish not to utilize in the appropriate situations. And I yeah. think it's something that, uh, it's something that I, I do all the time. And I, you know, like I said, if you're stuck somewhere, what I don't see a downside for eating a bunch of steaks for a couple of months. I yeah, really, really I, don't just I, to see I, if it's going to happen. I've watched miracles happen too. Uh, you know, so there's something to it. Okay. Uh, describe a day of eating. So people understand more of what the carnivore diet actually means. Yeah. So, I mean, when I, when I give lectures on this, what I talk about, I say, you know, the focus is on animal, animal based products. And so that can be, most people would associate meat of some type. Some people include dairy, fish, you know, some people consider fish and meat or not a meat, but uh, that, that, you know, is mostly what we see. I mean, I, you know, my, my personal diet is not necessarily the one I think everybody needs to eat. I mean, like for breakfast, I had, you know, I basically had some steak. I had some cottage cheese this morning, uh, just as something I don't, I don't often eat, but I had that this morning. Uh, yeah. Dinner will look some very people, similar. Some people do carnivore with cheese and without, correct? Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, I, like I said, this is, again, this isn't a, I don't think it's a rigid, you must do it this way in this order and eat exactly yeah. this amount. I mean, basically, it kind of like, focus on animal based nutrition, you can either completely eliminate plants if you need to, and some people believe it or not do need to or seem to, or yeah. you can significantly limit it to the point and the outcome is better health. And that's this is what we're looking at. So if you can sit there and eat 
90% of your diet is meat and 10% of it's blueberries and strawberries and you do great with that. Hey, I'm all for that. I'm totally fine with that. You know, again, it's the objective outcomes we're looking to see. But I mean, a lot of these tough recalcitrant cases, you know, require some level of uh, uh, restriction and strictness because I think, I think food is very, you know, if, we, if, we, if we're going to believe that food impacts our health, and I think there's plenty of evidence that would suggest that's true. Figuring that out can be very, very challenging sometimes. And so just by simplifying the process, we're going to eliminate all the variables. We're only going to eat these, you know, a bunch of meat and everything else is out. And so if you get better, then you can start saying, well, what can I add back in? What can I add back in? So sometimes it's just like, I use the analogy, you remember the game of Clue where you had the eight characters, you had Colonel Mustard in the library with the candlestick and Miss Peacock and the whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But if you're playing Clue with, you know, 500 different characters, you know, this is the foods we eat, it's really tough to find out who the, who the culprit is. It might take you decades to figure that out. Whereas well, if you really simplify it, it, it becomes pretty easy. And I yeah, would say, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, that's a part of it I like too, right? Because so many people are reacting to plant toxins, uh, meaning lectins, phytates, nightshades, histamines, right? You know, and it's very difficult to number one, eliminate all those things because there are many of those things are in practically every healthy fruit vegetable, right? So um, elimination is hard. Just going carnivore makes it dang easy, actually, because all right, we're starting with none of those things that can be irritating to an inflamed gut. So we eliminate them all. And then to your point, yeah, you can add some blueberries back in, see what happens, right? You can add some things back in, see what happens. But just doing meat and fats um, is, it is, it's very simple. Now, caution, you'll, you know, most people um, have a few uh, rough days with it, would you say? Yeah, I mean, certainly. I mean, there, there is a transition period. I think anything, anytime you introduce anything new into the body, whether it's going the other way, you go, people go on a plant-based diet and they initially feel horrible. You know, some of them do. And there's, oh. there's going to be gut adjustments that are going on. I think the point, and I want to elaborate on this point a little bit more, because, you know, you talk about introducing these plant toxins into an inflamed gut. And I think the key is you've already got this dysbiotic gut. You've got this damaged gut and things you probably should be able to tolerate. You Absolutely. cannot tolerate it anymore. And exactly. I think it's this, this, you know, our modern diet of concentrated, heavily treated foods that we didn't, they weren't before a hundred years didn't even exist. And, and now we're, we're eating them in massive quantities. And so we have this damaged gut and now somebody can't tolerate an apple, which is kind of crazy. If you think about it, I'm like, why can't, why can't I eat an apple? People have been eating apples for thousands of years, if not longer, maybe, maybe even millions of years. And, and now we're saying, I can't tolerate it. Why is that? Well, I think your gut is damaged. And I think when we, when we, uh, I mean, even some of the stuff around meat, I think it's predicated to having the, 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 the reported deleterious effects of meat, I think are predicated on having an underlying damaged gut in many cases. I think I, you know, I, things I like that. Uh, yeah. you, you know, uh, Dr. Paul Saladino wrote a book, uh, The Carnivore Code. He gives different phases of carnivore, like we said, you know, cheese, you could eat maybe a little bit of this, et cetera. Um, you know, he believes that everyone should be on the carnivore diet. Uh, do you, well, you already answered that. You actually said no. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I don't, yeah, but yeah. I, you know, I mean, and then we have, uh, you know, Dr. Stephen Gundry, um, he wrote a book that everyone should stay away from lectins, right? Which obviously if you're on a carnivore diet, you're not going to be eating lectins. Lectins are in more plant foods, but um, is it the lectins, uh, Dr. Sean, or do you think it's, um, the irritated gut? Is it the nightshades or the irritated gut, the oxalates or the irritated gut? 
Well, I think it's all the above, quite honestly. I mean, it could be the lectins. I mean, you know, lectins are ubiquitous. I mean, they're damn near every plant. I mean, they're, they're, they're everywhere. They're, yeah. they're, they're certainly in, in greater concentration in, in legumes and beans and things like that, grains and so on and so forth. But I think that um, this is a thing. I mean, how dare you say that a vegetable could be harmful because we've got this belief that if you just eat more and more leaves and, and fruit, you're going to be great. But the problem is for some people, maybe a minority of people, certain veg vegetables, certain compounds are irritated. And it may be this underlying gut issue that has developed due to years of abuse. And all of a sudden now, you know, you, you, I'm sure you're aware of how, you know, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I'm, I'm talking about IBS. It's something I would have never <laughs> concerned myself with before. But now that you get into this new nutrition space, you see how prolific IBS has become. It is, oh. it is, it is ubiquitous. I mean, it's like 20% of the U.S. population is, has a formal diagnosis of IBS, and that's not including the subclinical cases. So yep. everybody probably has some degree of gut dysfunction. I did, and I didn't even know it because I thought that was normal digestion. And when I went to carnivore, I was like, holy cow. It was just it was the, the absence of my awareness of digestion was, was, was astounding. I was like, I don't even know I'm eating food anymore. Before, it was, I, would, I would eat, and I would always be aware of my digestive process through the noises or discomfort or bloating or, you know, unpleasant bowel experiences, but it went away. I was like, wow, you know, this is something really neat. So I think, I think meat is our kind of, it's like a reset button. I kind of consider, you know, hitting the reset button, you know, kind of hit the factory settings on your, on your, on your product. And, and, and you kind of get the restart. Cause you know, you think about how we were born, we start out on an animal based diet, right? We're not eating any I mean, where are the newborn babies getting their fiber from? They don't. I mean, some people argue about oligosaccharides, but I don't think that's a real fair argument. I think we're just not getting that initially. And, and you know, if you look at some of the mammalian comparisons, but it's clear that a meat-based diet was probably better for brain development for, for young kids, you know, and, and now we have concentrated calories in the form of refined grains and sugars where we can make up that energy deficit but that's not how our gut is designed to handle food we, we're not designed to eat powders you know you think about that if, if you know I, I can't eat flour in the wild I mean I, I, there's no way for me as a human being to make flour outside of you know hours and hours of grinding or processing machines in our gut you know the, the incretin hormones the entire temporal sequence of our gut is not designed to eat these powders. And so when you, when you dump flour and sugar and even protein powders in there, it's, it's, it's really coming in a way that we're not designed to get. Yeah. Yeah. Let's have the meat conversation, right? Because you made the argument that you feel meat hits a reset button. Um, you and I believe meat is one of the healthiest, if not the healthiest food you could possibly eat. Now, um, there's a large percentage of the population that disagrees, right? They think it's all about the antioxidants in fruits and vegetables, eat more fruits and vegetables. All right, and they look at meat, I would say a large percentage of the population as, ah, too much meat causes heart disease, too much meat causes whatever they think. So make the argument against that and then make, make even more of an argument why meat is so healthy. Yeah, well, I mean, I think if anytime you look at these arguments and say meat is associated with cardiovascular disease, first of all, I mean, there's a huge limitation on those studies, you know, nutritional epidemiology, where most of this, you know, something like 80 85% of our nutritional data are based on epidemiology studies, you know, it's somebody you're asking somebody, what did you eat for the last 10 years on a food frequency questionnaire, which they don't ever get right. I mean, the validation studies for that are very unimpressive. If you actually look yeah. at the food FFQ validation studies, it's like, they got it right, you know, 50% of the time, you know, only nine out of 25 times or something like that. So it's really, I mean, it's hard to have a lot of faith in those 
those things. But then again, you know, so you're, 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 you're asking people what they thought they ate or what their perception, what they ate is, and then trying to tra draw conclusions based upon that. You know, we had, uh, uh, you know, the World Health Organization came out and said, you know, red meat is a class two carcinogen, processed meats class one. This is in 2015, IRC panel. Uh, on that panel were 23 scientists. Um, one of those uh, uh, who I actually interviewed, basically, he was, he basically said, I sat on the panel. It was not a unanimous decision. They completely discounted any studies whatsoever that showed that red meat did not cause cancer. This is David Clerfield, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and that when I brought up the fact that a large significant percentage of people on this panel were ethical vegans, vegetarians, or Seventh-day Adventists who their religion is based on vegetarianism, that was that was considered not worth worth talking about as a conflict of interest and so they, they you know it was based entirely on epidemiology it was based on there was a couple of rat studies there was no there's no randomized control trial that you can point to that says someone that eats meat gets heart disease they just don't exist i mean they're hard to do i mean in in, in all reality i mean it's hard to do a study where you say these guys are gonna eat a bunch of meat these guys aren't and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna control every other factor and see who gets heart disease and who doesn't that really hasn't been done in, in a really uh, prospective way or a randomized way or any way that would actually be called a true scientific experiment. And so, uh, you know, and there's plenty of counter studies that would, that would go against that narrative. I mean, if you look at the Asian data, and I know I'm kind of mixing cancer and heart disease, but in the Asian data, and, and Asia contains 4.5 billion people, the vast majority of people on this planet live in Asia. When they look at meat consumption in Asian populations, the vast majority of those epidemiologic studies don't show a relationship with red meat and, and disease. And the reason for that is, I think it's the way these, they perceive meat. They don't perceive meat as, a, as an unhealthy food. And when you know, you're constantly told since 19, you know, 1950 or so, red meat is bad for you, who is gonna eat the red meat? Well, it's the people that don't really care about their health. It's the smokers, it's the drinkers, it's the people that don't wear the seatbelts, that don't engage in healthful behaviors. And so you've already got this subset of population that, that doesn't, you know, has already demonstrated they don't really care about health. Now, if you test someone like myself who I'm not doing this to kill myself, I truly am trying to stay healthy. I'm exercising every day. I, I don't, you know, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't do those things. And I eat a lot of meat, but you know, you know, you'd say this is a very different population than than the person that's sort of sedentary that that you know is eating meat and and they're eating French fries and they're eating Coca-Cola's and that sort of thing. But I mean it's it's uh you know, I think I think it's very challenging. I mean, because everybody's getting mixed messages. It's very yeah, difficult. Um, you know, it's it's tough to know what to do. And you know, so I always, you know, I, I think you can go into literature and support any argument you want to make. I can I can sit there and cherry pick through data and make an argument for for an all potato diet. I can do that. I mean, yeah. I, there's no doubt about it, you know. But the problem is, how do you know what's actually going on? And I think. I think this is a problem that most physicians make, and I think as a healthcare, you know, when we talk about chronic disease, we don't really have the data to tell us what is going to cause you to die from heart disease in 10 or 20 years. You know, we've got some risk factors and so on and so forth, but we don't have really good data on that. So what I like to focus on is if you are sick today, you're obese, you're diabetic, you're in pain, you're, you're depressed, if I can take you from there and move you into a category where those things are no longer a problem, I have, in my view, done a very good job I think I've improved your health dramatically. Probably I've improved your, I've almost certainly improved your quality of life. There's a, probably a decent chance that I've improved your longevity as well. We know, right. But I, I'm never going to make claims that you're going to live longer eating a meat-based diet, nor should anyone make a claim that you're, that you're not, because we just don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, look, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, it's just, 
that cut, you're right, it's around, you know, 1950, you know, Alan Keyes, you know, they, they just cherry picked the studies that, you know, they wanted to see, um, you know, in many of those studies, it was the same thing, China study, same thing. And uh, frankly, it's been just in our vocabulary that meat is bad, red meat's bad. Oh, I cut back on red meat and I feel better. Well, you cut back on a, a grain-fed commercial crappy meat, number one, which I would argue is bad, but grass-fed meat, man, it's like, I think it's one of the healthiest things, uh, all the healthy fats that we need. And the irony is, is that cholesterol and saturated fat are two of the most important fats that we need, and yet they're, you know, they're vilified. Well, I mean, I think there's, there's, there's a couple, you know, the interesting historical, I think, facts that, that shouldn't be overlooked. I mean, in 1977-ish, we in the United States were eating the most meat, most red meat we've ever eaten as, as a country. It was something like 96 pounds per person per year. That number has dropped down to around 55 pounds per person per year since 1972 to 2021. It's gone up slightly a pound or two in the last year or so. But, you know, we've seen this 40% reduction in meat, red meat consumption. And what, what has happened to our health? We've just seen the exact opposite. We've seen uh, diabetes go up, obesity go up, heart disease go up. Uh, you know, the heart survivor and the heart disease survival has, has improved, but the incidence has gone up. Um, cancer, you know, all these things have gotten worse. And, you know, to make the argument that red meat is causing that, the average American eats something like 2.3 ounces of red meat a day. It's a tiny, tiny amount compared to 70, 65, 70% of their diet, which is plant-based, and six, you know, most of that is going to be ultra-processed garbage. You know, it's refined, refined grains, sugar, seed oil, soy, and stuff like that. So to make this argument for this tiny fraction of our diet is, is, is causing all these problems is nonsensical to me. Yeah, um, no, you know, I, I, it, it just doesn't add up when you really look at it logically. But one thing I've learned is uh, people prefer to be emotional thinkers than logical thinkers, but that's a whole nother topic for another day. But, uh, <laughs> the, um, you know, this, this brings up, and I said at the top of the show, right? What about vitamin C? What about all the antioxidants? What about all these, you know, things that we're told that we need? I'm not going to get that on an all meat and fat diet. Explain that. Well, I mean, first of all, we have to look at, you know, antioxidants. I mean, our body has endogenous antioxidants. We produce, you know, we produce quite a bit of, you know, endogenous antioxidants. And um, when we go on lower carbohydrate diet, incidentally, those antioxidants, they, they increase. You know, one of, the, one of the interesting things about vitamin C, you know, we know as humans and I think guinea pigs and a couple other animals don't make endogenous vitamin C. One of the thoughts is we kind of traded this loss of uricase, which is an enzyme that breaks down uric acid. Uric acid, by the way, is a, an antioxidant. Uh, most people right. don't know that. It's usually, right. usually associated with gout, and because of when it's when it's high in, in a certain environments, right, we'll see we'll see precipitation of uric acid crystals. You know, we get these negative bifurcated crystals that you, you collect from the from the knee or wherever you aspirate the joint. But so we have these, you know, these mechanisms in place that we do our own antioxidants. I mean, it's like, you know, I think it's the, this kind of thought that we need to do liver cleanses or detoxes. You know, we've got these things. We've got a liver that does that. We have kidneys that do that. Um, you know, when we think about how much antioxidants, you know, if you look at the studies on exogenous antioxidants, what stuff we consume, particularly when it comes in the form of certain supplements, the studies out there show that their efficacy is pretty minimal. They're not really absorbed well. And 
in many in some cases are even frankly harmful for, for, for some people. And, and so I yeah. think this belief that we got to eat these super berries in, in massive quantities to overwhelm our, you know, our receptors, you know, you know, there's there's oxidation and antioxidation. There's a delicate balance that the body maintains. Absolutely. And you know, you don't grow it's not, it's you know, we always have this, well, if a little bit's good, we got to get tons of it. And then right. you, know, you throw it out of there's a balance the body needs to be in. And so Fortunately, we evolved with that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you think about it, you know, as, as you know, if we look at the, the species throughout the world, humans are the most successful species when it comes to geography. We occupy every single environmental niche, you know, every latitude, every longitude, every, every altitude on the planet. The only other creature that's even close to us are wolves, you know, and because we've had this ability to go everywhere, I'm just saying, what antioxidant would we have gotten from a plant that would have been you know, in Northern Canada, in the, at the equator. I mean, there's none, you can't point your finger and say, if, if these things are required, show me where it grows in all seasons, all regions of the world. And I mean, maybe grass, I don't know, but we don't eat grass. I mean, I, I mean, but we certainly clearly can get it from animals. And the other thing about what, what many people know, there's a nice study out of Duke University that was done by Stefan Van Vliet, um, looking at what's in meat. And it's not just some fat and some protein and, and a few and iron and a few few vitamins. There are literally 55,000 compounds found in meat. Many of them are these poly, you know, these are, are these phytonutrients that we can see. And these animals will concentrate some of these phytonutrients in their fat and their meat, and you eat them anyway. And so you can get this. So a cow has a much more diverse plant-based diet than a human can ever have. Humans can't go through a field and mow down and eat, you know, 500 different plants like a cow can. And so they're actually getting a better exposure to these phytonutrients. It is appearing in their food. And, and so you can get that that way anyway. But I think the antioxidant question is, you know, it's not eating more acai berries and blueberries and, you know, the, the, the red yeah. green smoothies. Absolutely. Well, you know, there, there's a whole process when your body goes into that ketotic state. Uh, you, I, Stephen Finney, I remember years ago, him answering the question very well, right? Um, he proved that you needed very little vitamin C, if at all, once you're in that ketotic state, why? Because the cells are burning fat, the brain's using ketones, which burn like natural gas on the stove. So imagine that, right? So you see your, the, the stove and you see that flame natural gas, that energy is creating heat, but you see it's very little waste. You don't need a chimney, right? Now on the opposite, you burn wood in the fireplace, all the smoke, oh, you're creating energy, you're creating heat. Think of that as carbohydrates you need a chimney, you need antioxidants. Over here, you don't need antioxidants, right? You know, because there's far less waste burning the natural gas versus the, the logs or the coal. So, I mean, you know, I think that's a really valid example, right? You, you have to understand the fuel that your body's burning uh, when you're on these diets. Yeah, and I, you know, and I think you can, you, for that analysis, you know, the antidote comes with the poison, so to speak. So if we want to, and, and, and I, I, I hesitate right. to use the word poison, there but you if go. you're going to consume a high, carbohydrate diet coming through plants, fruits, vegetables, whatever, that that comes with these antioxidants, you may, need them. you may need them more to counteract the problem that you're developing all the reactive oxygen species you are by running a high carbohydrate metabolism. You know, yeah. just, just to further, just for complete on vitamin C, we know that the human red cell can actually cycle, recycle vitamin C. 
We know that vitamin C is intimately involved with carnitine, the process of carnitine. Carnitine serves as a shuttle for fat oxidation. When you're eating a meat-based diet, guess what you're getting a lot of? You're eating a lot of carnitine. You know, this is where you get it. You know, when I'm eating a red, when I eat a steak, I get a whole bunch of carnitine, which the gut actually has transporters to. So it comes in intact. So you're 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 basically some of the needs of vitamin C, the antioxidant need is probably minimized. Uric acid kind of may pick up a little bit some of that. You know, you talked about the different energy consumption that you're, you know, the different metabolism changes yeah. the requirements. So the actual requirements are probably very different. And I think this is one thing that the RDA assumes that everyone on the, that's, that's being examined is eating, uh, you know, a, a heavily grain-based diet where 60% of the calories are coming from carbohydrate. And this is what they assume and I think you can't make those assumptions. I you think can't. It's, it's such a so, simple mistake, really. I mean, and like you said, of course, if you're eating plants, there's antidotes there uh, in the form of antioxidants. I mean, you know, God knew it exactly what he was doing. The innate intelligence knows exactly what it needs and how to do it and how to create it. Um, what was the explorer's name? Um, I'm going to butcher his name. Vladimir, Vladimir Stefansson. Uh, something of yeah, that. Yeah, Bill, 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 Bill Mar Stefanson, and he was he was he was of Icelandic descent and, and was Canadian, but he went up and lived with the Inuit for about a dozen years, right? Sure. Yeah, he lived with the Inuit, you know, up in uh, you know, basically the Eskimos, if you will. And he thought him and his men, they thought they were going to die because they didn't they ran out of their food supply, right, of carbohydrates, and here they're just eating the Inuit diet, and I mean they're thinking we're we're, we're going to die because they went through that like week or two of like not adapting and then they adapted and then they thrived they're like they couldn't believe their strength they couldn't believe their energy and they went on for months like this to the point he realized all what he thought about nutrition was blown out the window <laughs> and you know we didn't need fiber we didn't need vitamins we didn't need all that we thought right at least vitamins from plants but anyways they, he came back and his predecessors thought he was absolutely gonzo right you know so he actually did a study and uh, proved himself right. They looked at his blood right before, oh, you're gonna have cholesterol, you're gonna die of heart disease. And of course his numbers got better uh, when he went on the diet. They did it in a controlled environment, just like they did when they were with uh, the tribe. Anyways, fa fascinating uh, topic, but it's not what we think oftentimes, right? So, um, you know, what do you talk about it? You know, we both said that uh, we utilize this diet uh, for autoimmune conditions. Like you said, you mentioned a lot of different skin conditions it's used for cancer. Why does it work? I mean, you, you gave, I, I think you peeled it apart a lot of different ways, but if we narrow it down to say, this is why we think it's good for these conditions, what's your thought? Yeah, I think, you know, I get it. I think there's, there's going to be a little variation on the condition, but I think basically, um, I, I do think that, you know, particularly autoimmune issues you know there, there's a there's a researcher uh uh named uh, uh i think it's alexi faisano out of boston children he's done a tremendous amount of work looking at the gut relationship between gut health and autoimmune disease and there seems to be a pretty clear association and you might even say there's enough evidence to say there might be some causative uh, factors there so i think what happens is by removing, you know, certainly removing junk food. I mean, this is a problem. With a carnivore diet, it's really hard. I mean, you see it with keto, with paleo, with vegan. All these diets have their junk food. The processed food companies are right on them. You're right. They'll never happy to slap them on there and say, hey, it's made with plants. Got to be good for you. you know, even if it's just Oreos, right? Oreo is vegan. Or, you know, we see a thing with paleo, keto. They, they're very good at that. So when you remove all this, because it's really hard to make a 
meat-based junk food. I mean, some people say jerky with a bunch of stuff, but it's not really meat-based when you start adding all that garbage in there. But if you're eating a truly just meat-based diet, it's hard to, to put the junk food in there. So I think that's number one. I think you're removing that stuff. You're you're eliminating, you know, we, we get such a thought that we've got to add this, we've got to add this supplement, add this superfood. When, when more likely it's not, you need to remove the things that are, that are bothering you. You know, instead of, you know, it's kind of like taking somebody that's walking around hitting their head with a hammer yeah. and they go to the doctor and the doctor says, here's some, here's some aspirin. You know, it's like, why don't you just take the hammer out of a guy's hand? You know, yeah. it's kind of like move the, the irritating thing. So I think that's number one. Number two, we know that the human gut is well adapted, despite what some of these plant-based proponents say, the human gut is well adapted to digesting and absorbing meat. I mean, we have a, we have a gastric acid pH of something like 1.5, which is one of the lowest among all animals when you compare it across species. Human guts are on par with vultures and hyenas because we probably started out scavenging. We probably started out, you know, going behind big predator cats, you know, picking up whatever they left behind. And they do. They leave, you know, studies out of Africa show they leave like 20 kilos of meat on a zebra kill, which is a lot of food. And, you know, it probably was been sitting out for a few hours. So it was probably contaminated. So humans started to eat that. And what protected them was their gut pH. And, you know, having that, because it's very energetically expensive to, produce all that acid. It's not, it, 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 it costs a lot of money energetically. Yeah. So we would have done that for a reason. So we have that, we, we know that meat is well absorbed, it's well absorbed in the small intestine. You know, this belief that meat just sits there and rots in your colon yeah. is, is absolute garbage. I mean, it's one of the most ridiculous claims out there. I mean, you talk to any gastroenterologist that does colonoscopies, they never find meat in someone's colon. They'll find corn and vegetation and seeds and nuts all the time. So it's not rotting in your gut, it's well absorbed. We know that the, the, the uh, absorption characteristics are so much, you know, much better. Um, I think the nutritional uh, completeness, you know, particularly you know, regard to protein, we know they're complete, they're complete proteins. They have all the amino acids in the ratios you need. Um, I think the, the absence of irritation, the absence of inflammation goes a long way to help resolve a lot of these issues. And we see, you know, we see when people go on a carnivore diet, if they're on it, they have autoimmune issues, their inflammatory markers typically plummet. Yeah. Their, their autoimmune uh, markers often go down, you know, their AMA yeah. levels or their TPO levels and so on and so forth, TPO levels, they get better. And then shortly after that, their clinical symptoms get better. And so I think, I think it probably, you know, if we look at, you know, the interface to our world, you know, we think about our skin as in touch with the environment, but our skin is designed to keep things out. I mean, we, you know, that's what our skin does, keep stuff out. Our gut is designed to bring things in. And, yeah. and the gut, as you know, gut is external to our body. We, we're, we're wrapped around this long tube, which actually is considered external to our body. Yeah. So this is our largest airbase. It, it's got the most, our largest part of our immune system is wrapped around our gut. And that's how we're supposed to interact with the world through what we eat. And when we're eating stuff we're not designed to eat, I think that's the biggest issue, but I think it's a, it's a combination. I think it's high quality nutrition and, and taking away the, the absolute stuff we're not designed to eat. Yeah, no, it was a great answer. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so you said what you ate for breakfast. Well, would you, well I don't know if you had lunch yet. Would you, would, what will you have or did you have for lunch? And then tell us about dinner. Yeah, I, I probably won't have lunch. I mean, I, I, I well, I didn't. Sorry, you know, two thirty in the afternoon, two forty in the afternoon here. So, I mean, uh, I will. Uh, I'll That's probably the thing eat too. Around. Is when you're on a carnivore diet, it's easy to eat one or two meals a day. I mean, you literally you don't need to eat a lot. So, I, your answer doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, honestly, I think two meals a day, probably ninety percent. And I've I've been in contact with literally tens of thousands of people who've done this diet. Ninety percent of the people end up usually on a two meal a day pattern. And I think it's one of the things I found that, you know, hunger is, is, 
you know, we talk about, and I, I really don't like talking about weight loss because it's so contentious, you know, what, why it is and why it's just a lot of calorie deficit. I don't really care. All I care is what works. But I find that appetite is something that many people fail to address when they talk about calories because, yeah, yeah it's nice to know that I can only, if I only eat 2,500 calories and I exercise, I'm going to lose weight. But how, how am I going to physically do that? I mean, it's, it's yeah. easier on paper than it is on execution. And if you're hungry all the time, it doesn't really work. But, you know, so my diet is, you know, I mean, most days, I mean, again, I'll put the caveat, I'm a big guy. I'm 250 pounds. I'm six foot five. I will eat somewhere between three to four pounds of meat a day. That's just me. I'm like, you know, I mean, but if you contrast that to, you know, because we often hear about, oh, you know, the silverback gorilla, look how big and strong he is and all he eats is plants. A gorilla who weighs not much more than me, I'm, you know, they're probably 300 pounds. I'm 250. I used to be 300 pounds, but they're eating something like 40 to 60 pounds of food a day. All day. They're literally spending, they're spending 80% of their waking hours physically chewing food. And it's like, and I'm eating, you know, it takes me, you know, 20 minutes twice a day and I'm, I'm good. And, you know, it's just like, there's such an efficiency difference there. And, you know, it, it, most people don't realize this, of all the animals, the creatures, the species that have ever inhabited planet Earth, something like 85% of them have been carnivorous. The reason for that is it is so much more efficient. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, you have to specialize adaptations to handle plants. And, it's, and we've got lots of herbivores. I mean, herbivores have been very prolific. We've got our herds of, you know, vast herds of these, you know, herbivores. But from a from an overall strategy, from from individual species, most of them choose a carnivorous route just because it's easy. And, you know, we've got, you know, there's videos of a deer eating a chicken and a cow eating a, a bird and on and a horse eating a rabbit. I mean, they'll do it. They're just not very good hunters. And so humans are, humans are very good hunters. I mean, we are the most efficient uh, proficient hunters that ever walked the planet. I mean, there's no other species, you know, you talk about how, how fast a lion is, but lions have never eaten a whale. Lions have never eaten a shark. You know, they, they just can't do that. You know, they just, and, and humans have figured it out through, due to, due to our brain and our manual dexterity and our ability to communicate and, and organize in a way that no other animal has been able to do. So yeah. I know it's yeah. Good for <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, great conversation. Uh, this is, uh, you know, I, I think that this diet is underutilized. Um, it's great uh, that you've read a book. Um, would give you the title of your book. Do you have one sitting around? Hold it up. Um, great resource, of course. Yeah, I don't have. Unfortunately, I don't have one. But it's called the Carnivore Diet by Dr. Sean Sean Baker, MD. Um, you know, it's it's on Amazon. It's uh, so it's it's you know I wrote it in a way that was designed for accessibility for the average person. It, it's yeah. it, there's 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 plenty of science in there, but it's not overly technical. It's more of a why this, why we think this works, how to do it, you know, how to, how to, you know, how to, how to do it, make it simple. I mean, I, one of the things that frustrates me is when, when, when we make things too complicated for people where they, they you know, even if it were to work, some people it's like, it's, it's so complicated that I can't figure it out. And so a lot of people appreciate the, you know, the simplicity of it. I think and that's, yeah, I think no, that's, you make uh, it easy. And I, I love, I love your approach. Uh, great conversation. Thanks for being here, Dr. Baker. Uh, and your knowledge is, uh, you know, just absolutely clear the way you speak it here. You make it simple, man. Appreciate that. Well, I appreciate the opportunity and look forward. I think, I think I'm talking to you in a couple of weeks on, on our podcast. So looking forward Beautiful. to doing it. Awesome. Turn it uh, around. So, yeah. Thanks I'd again. All right. Thank you. I want to give thanks to one of our sponsors, Cyto Defend. Look, at a time like this, I think that our immune system and keeping our immune system up right now is more important than ever. I can also tell you 
that I pay attention to the things that keep my immune system on par and healthy. So, so glad that Cited Defend is one of our sponsors here on Cell TV. And it's a product that I use, my family uses, and hopefully you'll check it out. And by the way, you can check it out with the link right here below. If you wanna try a free bottle, you can actually get a free bottle, just pay the shipping. And I think you'll reorder after that, but check it out. If you're listening to this podcast and want to access the amazing Cytodefend product Dr. Pompa just mentioned, please visit freeimmunity.com. Again, that's freeimmunity.com. Well, that's it for this week. The materials and content within this podcast are intended as general information only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you would like to purchase some of the supplements mentioned on this show, please visit the site as seen on chtv.com and use the code CHTV15 for 15% off. Again, that's as seen on chtv.com. Use the code CHTV15 for 15% off. And as always, thanks for listening.